welcome to WeTown Talks. WeTown is a community for developers and WeTown Talks is a live audio stream. This is a recorded episode from the live stream. We invite inspiring techies from all over the world to meet, host talks and discuss the latest in tech. My name is Charlotte Holman and I'm the founder of WeTown. In this episode, we meet Kim Elman, who is the director for Center for Cybersecurity at RISE. In this talk, we talk about hacking, threats, and the trends in cybersecurity. Before we start, we want to say that we are for spreading information about hacking, but we're against using hacking to commit crimes. Welcome to WeTal Talks. Thank you very much. So uh, today we're going to talk a bit about security and hacking. It's going to be a very interesting talk. Uh, and uh, yeah, I know you a bit from before where we were talking about hacking. So we already practiced once. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, but cool. But for us that um, don't know much about you, can you tell us uh, about yourself and what you do? Absolutely. Uh, first of all, it's uh, nice to be here. Thanks for the invitation to this We Talk. Uh, I uh, usually start off by saying that I wanted to be a hacker when I was a young kid. And uh, that's partly true, actually. It's very true. I was uh, intrigued when I was about maybe 10, 11 years old by uh, this guy in my, in my class who were able to put a password on uh, the computers in the lecturing hall. And not even the teachers could then open the, the computers and make them available to us. And I thought that was really interesting. Uh, how did he do that? So that sort of piqued my uh, interest when I was young. And then I came across this magazine that spoke about actually a Swedish hacker group called the Swedish Hacker Association. And uh, it described them in a very sort of adventurous uh, tone, talking about this really bright genius minds and how they were able to circumvent uh, different systems and reverse different algorithms and produce uh, credit card numbers, etc. And I thought, well, that sounds uh, really cool. So for a few years back in my youth, I was very focused on learning everything I could about uh, IT security and, uh, and hacking and uh, how that worked and different types of systems. And I managed to, to learn a trick or two, but uh, I was never you know, the, the best um, technical hacker in that sense. But I, I learned some, some tips and tricks and techniques and I, and I built a good network of very talented people uh, over IRC, which stands for Internet Relay Chat, uh, which is one of these uh, old school chat protocols before we had uh, Slack and whatnot. So uh, that was my, my grounding. And that really uh, ended up with me trying to start a IT security company back in the year 2000. Uh, my, uh, my interest in uh, IT security had uh, been uh, talked about and I was approached by this uh, startup guy, uh, an economist, and at this time I was maybe 16 years old and he wanted to start a, 
uh, IT security company with with my help. So I enlisted some other uh, co-founders from the technical side, and we uh, were driving this startup for about a year and a half. But unfortunately, this was in the year 2000. So just as we were uh, getting off the ground and had secured some seed funding, you know, the the stock market crashed around the IT bubble, and uh, we couldn't continue at that point. And that. I moved on to working and focusing more on other interests and eventually other um, professional endeavors as well. So I worked a lot around uh, both uh, harder types of security, event security and self-protection. I also uh, spent some time working with applied uh, behavioral science in the context of, of persuasion and communication. Uh, like sales and coaching and these types of uh, things. But then in uh, 2016, I uh, came back into the cybersecurity industry, you could say, where I uh, was part of a internal startup at another security company. So we um, uh, made an initiative to start a cybersecurity department within that company focusing on cyber threat intelligence and... Uh, managed detection services. So how to detect when an intruder has breached your perimeter defense and is already inside your environment. So we built that for about three, uh, four years and then we sold it and I moved uh, with the uh, rest of the team to the new buyer and I worked there for about two and a half years. And then about three months ago, I started at RISE, which is the Research Institutes of Sweden, which is really a, a reorganization of many of the different institutes that were independent uh, historically, but it's now under the same roof. So RISE consists of about 3,000 people, um, and we have research in all types of domains that you can envision. One of these is uh, cybersecurity as well. And uh, a new initiative at RISE is this Center for Cybersecurity, where I'm working to uh, collect everything we're doing already internally at RISE when it comes to research and innovation around cybersecurity, but also work uh, even closer to the market with, and with our industry partners to understand their needs and really serve the, the private sector uh, and society better. So uh, that's uh, the short story of how I ended up where I am today. Mm. <laughs> so the the bad hacker became a good hacker in the end, you can say. <laughs> I don't think I was such a bad hacker, but uh, the the industry has definitely changed a lot um, in those years. So when I was growing up and when I initially got interested in this area, it wasn't it wasn't an industry per se. Uh, this was really early days. This was when the broadband was uh, being started, starting to get rolled out uh, all over Sweden, etc. So, looking at you know what what it was then and what it is now, there's a, a lot of things are the same, but there's also a huge difference. Mm. Yeah, and like this is such a cool topic, and uh, let's deep dive into it straight away. So. Um... Uh, yeah, I mean, me, for example, I run a startup, we tell. And of course, the first uh, question I have is like, what are the 
uh, most common ways to get hacked as a startup, for example? Okay, yeah, good question. Um, I'm not sure if it's uh, different for a startup versus other companies, but uh, there are definitely uh, more common ways than others to, to get hacked. And I think what's important to also understand about the threat landscape is that we have many different uh, kinds of uh, many different kinds of threat actors. So everything from the alone teenager in the in the basement who is hacking just for for thrills um, and to learn perhaps uh, to the nation state sponsored actors who are uh, you know hacking as part of maybe a a larger campaign involving also other influence tactics towards another state or in the examples of you know trying to affect elections so it's a it's a really broad topic and you have many different threat actors the most common one uh, related mm -hmm. to your question also is the the cyber crime uh, threat actors so essentially the ones who are motivated by economic gains so basically they want to make money and the most common way to do that currently is also through these ransomware uh, attacks and i'm sure most people have heard or read about ransomware basically you you trick someone or you uh, breach a system through a vulnerability or trick someone through a, a phishing email for instance to open an attachment uh, and then you implant this uh, ransomware which encrypts uh, your files tries to spread across the network tries to sometimes spread uh, through your address book as well by sending additional emails etc uh, and then requesting or demanding that you pay uh, money typically in the form of bitcoin to get the um, the key to unlock your files again so that's really the most common scenario both for for small and large companies currently i would say and uh, i guess there could be exceptions if your startup is in a super hot and very niche um, space where you might have technology that's really innovative and heavy around the uh, uh, innovation uh, side, you might have uh, a scenario where you have more targeted uh, attacks if there are threat actors for whom your uh, intellectual property would have huge value. But, but that's really a niche and related to, you know, these ransomware campaigns that would be a very rare uh, scenario, you could say. So ransomware, I guess, is the, is the biggest and most common uh, threat, actually, both for startups and for, for larger companies currently. Mm -hmm. And, uh, oh, yeah, so let's uh, go through, uh, because I have now many questions <laughs> about the stuff that you said. Uh, so first of all, I wanted to ask you, like the types of hackers, yeah. uh, you imagine, you know, that this is this teenager that you said. Uh, maybe right. with, a is, uh, with a hoodie. They have to have a hoodie or they don't. Yes, otherwise they're not a hacker, <laughs> let's face it. Exactly. But, um, then maybe there are some uh, leagues. Uh, that's what I heard, at least. Like how many yeah. percent would you say is like the teenager and how many percent are actually like uh, criminals? <coughs> Well, there is this old uh, distinction among hackers, uh, depending on their inclination. So you have the people who don't care about the law. They are typically called black hats. 
uh, and they often hack for um, for money or and they don't really care about the the legality of what they're doing uh, and and typically when you use this definition is when you talk about uh, individuals so that individual is a black hat or uh, the opposite that individual is a white hat hacker which may be someone who uh, is very uh, serious about the law and the rules and, and takes care not to break any of them. Sometimes these are also more popularly called uh, security researchers, but they could be called white hat, hat hackers. Then you have uh, the in-betweens that you would term you know, gray hat hackers. And these aren't really the worst type of, of criminals, but they are not purely innocent. They might be the category who who would actually try to exploit a vulnerability in the wild without permission from the company, for instance, that they are trying it on, but, but they wouldn't do anything further than that. That might be uh, referred to as a gray hat hacker. So you have those, those distinctions and typically referring to individuals. But then when these individuals, typically perhaps when they become a bit uh, older, uh, they may be part of uh, larger groups or organizations, and then they end up either working for a nation state in some capacity or uh, part of perhaps a cybercrime gang. Sometimes these cybercrime gangs also have a you know, close connection to, to the state in some instances, or you may be working on the, on the private or, or a public side with uh, security research or as a professional penetration tester. And the penetration tester is really the, the term or one of the terms for a white hat hacker. So their job is to try actively to find vulnerabilities in a software or a system or on a network and exploit that vulnerability to show uh, what weaknesses there are and point towards the most serious weaknesses so that the, the company or the or the product uh, owner or the developer can fix uh, those weaknesses uh, as soon as possible. So uh, those are the, I guess, normal categorizations of, uh, of different types of hackers uh, today. Cool. And um, yeah, and then uh, let's go through the, the types of hacking. How many mm -hmm. types are there and uh, like which are the most common? Okay, so uh, there are definitely uh, specialties within uh, within hacking. So some people may be specialized in hacking uh, web applications. Uh, that's really common. I mean, web apps and different uh, software as a service business models uh, are really common today, and I guess have grown in in popularity over the recent years. So that could be uh, one specialty. Uh, another specialty could be uh, focusing on reverse engineering uh, software to find vulnerabilities. Uh, another specialty could be um, a type of social hacking, something called, called social engineering, where it's really about understanding psychology and behavior and, uh, and really tricking people into doing things. Uh, a lot of people may have a uh, basic understanding of, of all of these areas but uh, then you know to specialize you can go really really 
deep into one area. Some people focus on more hardware and embedded systems. Um, so there are different, I mean, if you imagine different types of software, different types of products, um, different types of systems, then you can imagine there is a hacker specializing in that area. Another area is uh, industrial control systems, for instance. Uh, um, yeah, so the, lots of different kinds. Cool. And um, who should be most afraid? Is it the crypto companies or like any company that where there's like a lot of money involved or is it any other types of companies that should be like more worried than the rest? Um, yeah, I don't think uh, necessarily that they should be uh, afraid. I think we see that, you know, security awareness is uh, rising with most people, not least thanks to the media being very active in this area currently. Uh, but uh, of course, there are some some industries that are more interesting targets for some of these uh, threat actors. So definitely when you talk about banks and insurance sector, etc., they have been quite early adopters of defensive technology and defensive skill because they are a prime target. You know, anywhere where you aggregate a lot of money, um, then you definitely uh, will have an interest from financially motivated threat actors, obviously. Uh, but another really big area is uh, companies that have high... Uh, or, or highly valuable intellectual property uh, where there is the problem of more, more direct cyber espionage, for instance. So I think really everyone in society uh, has a responsibility to increase their security awareness. Um, and also we need to address uh, the issue of the security gap where you have a a threat landscape and capabilities on the offensive side that exceed the capabilities of the defenders on the defensive side. And, and the defenders are naturally always catching up because, because there is this uh, uh, asymmetry in the dynamics where the defender has to do everything right, but the attacker only needs the defender to do uh, or find one vulnerability or do one thing wrong for them to gain a foothold or... or uh, breach a system so it's uh, in a way really really difficult to be a defender and it's in a sense easier to be an attacker also of course depending on on um, your strategy if you just need to find one vulnerable target or if you need to go after one specific target so if you look at all of these ransomware campaigns uh, for instance or many types of uh, attacks Many of them are opportunistic, i.e. the attacker doesn't necessarily pick you as the victim, but rather, for some reason, you are exposing a uh, vulnerability to the uh, public internet, for instance, or you are with your email on a list from a third party whose user database was breached, and then you end up on this phishing email list. Etc. So a lot of a lot of this, and I would venture to say that most of the attacks that we see uh, come from opportunistic um, opportunistic uh, situations where the attackers 
just happen to get you involved in their attraction. So it's not it's not really targeted uh, most of the time. Although of course there are there are exceptions. And when you talk and think about targeted attacks, they have a much uh, greater risk of, of failure, and uh, they're typically more more costly in terms of time and resources that are needed to have a chance of, of succeeding uh, when doing targeted attacks. Yeah. And uh, so what is a normal vulnerability? So now say that uh, we have hacked our platform together and we don't have much uh, knowledge within security. Like what is the normal mistake that you do? Okay, so this is a really great question in this context also because uh, like I said, although I'm not really working with the, with the technical aspect so much uh, these days and I'm not working as a penetration tester, this, uh, this forum is for developers and the developers play a huge part in securing the systems. Um, I'm sure many of your members have heard about Sec DevOps or DevSecOps, uh, which is about ensuring that security is part of the development process from, from the start. And this is a really important initiative because uh, a lot of vulnerabilities are uh, created because developers may not necessarily be security experts, which is completely natural. But uh, that might lead to making um, errors or writing code in a way that, that opens up for different types of vulnerabilities. One of the most common uh, ways is about input a user input validation, for instance. So whenever you have a field or you're requesting information from, from the user, if you're not sanitizing uh, that input in, in a proper way, a attacker may uh, manipulate the input in such a way as to make the system or software do something that it's not intended to do. And uh, one of the most common types, I guess, is maybe SQL injections where you are communicating towards a database and you are appending the to make uh, the system dump data from the database, for instance, or execute commands and things like that. So um, I guess that's a very, very common uh, vulnerability. Another interesting fact is that, uh, you know, most vulnerabilities that are getting exploited in the wild are actually already known vulnerabilities uh, for which uh, there exist uh, patches. So, uh, so that's another, you know, uh, everyone who is, uh, who runs a company or develops uh, systems or software, etc., has to ensure that they have a working process to, to patch and update systems as, as uh, vulnerabilities become known. Yeah, interesting. And uh, so does the normal, I was thinking about these input fields, yeah. Um, nowadays, in the front end, we usually use uh, frameworks like React, Angular, stuff like that. Are they secured from the start, or do I have to do something? Uh, I'm not a specialist in this area, but I don't think you could say that any, any programming language is secured from the start. Um, but rather, you have to ensure that you know uh, security best practices as a developer and, and a programmer in different languages. We actually developed a, a course uh, just now at, at RISE, uh, which we call Cybersecurity for Developers. And it's not programming language or, or framework specific. 
but you basically get to to play the hacker for a couple of days and try to exploit different vulnerabilities and then understand how that relates back to the implementation of, of, of code uh, just to get this uh, awareness raised and understand you know how does the hacking part work how does um, uh, different vulnerabilities uh, come about and what what do you need to do to prevent them uh, so right now we we don't have any open um, slots for for that training but perhaps we will do a version that anyone could could apply to uh, so that might be an interesting um, you know first step to learning more about how to be a how to write secure code and how to understand the the minds and methods of of the attackers Okay, interesting. And um, yeah, there's also tons of tutorials nowadays on, on YouTube. Um, what do you think about that? Like I was looking it up, it was, uh, you know, four hours, this is how you become a hacker uh, yeah. tutorial by, by normal guy. Um, yeah. What do you think about that? I think, uh, I guess I think it's good that the information is, is there. Of course, it can be misused. But also, I think most people today who are interested in learning these things don't intend to be uh, criminals. Uh, so it's really hugely valuable that you can basically learn most of these things by yourself. And I guess a lot of the, the best uh, hackers in the world are self-taught to a great extent. Um, uh, so there are free, free trainings on, on YouTube. There's some other page called Security Tube or something like that. And there are a, a host of um, online trainings, certificates you can get, etc. So if you want to learn how to be a pen tester or any specific area around cybersecurity, there's probably an online course for it uh, today. Yeah, but if everyone learns how to hack, does it become like a competition between the hackers that they have to come up with some new way of hacking to break into bigger companies? Or how does that work? Yeah, definitely. I guess there are um, there's a race between attackers and defenders, and sometimes the attackers are on the good side of things. You have this uh, phenomenon with bug bounties where uh, large companies such as Facebook, they are offering white hat hackers money for finding vulnerabilities. So they encourage people to test their platforms. And when they find something that could be a vulnerability, they report it. And depending on how serious the vulnerability is, they get uh, different amounts of money. So there are some people who, who make a living just uh, testing systems uh, like this and uh, doing bug bounties. Um, there is always a development of new techniques and, and methods for, for attacking and also for, for defending. So it's, a, it's an ongoing process. And, and while that's still ongoing, I mean, most of the uh, security issues or many of the security issues that we were dealing with in the 90s are the same as today you know bad passwords uh, using uh, bad uh, architecture and how you set up your system not segmenting your networks 
all of these things are still are not patching your systems, although you know the vulnerabilities are known. All of these basics uh, are still so prevalent uh, today that it's uh, yeah, it's uh, astonishing uh, that you know the, the the baseline level for many organizations hasn't evolved. But uh, I guess things are starting to happen now in a good way. Right, and um, so one question that I had, <laughs> uh, you, it was funny because before we started this talk, you called me the black cat. <laughs> right. But, but I, am, I am curious, like, does it sometimes mean, like, if, you, if you're a developer, yeah. uh, and you can take a tutorial <laughs> mm-hmm. and uh, say that you get pissed off with someone, yeah. is it, like, a bit too easy to hack others sometimes do you do you know what i mean uh not really <laughs> but i can imagine i can imagine uh, what you mean but imagine think, for example yeah. okay imagine that you are for example 14 years old you have your computer yeah. you have access to all these uh, youtube uh, videos yeah and uh, like because it is a real crime and uh, yeah. so if you take down someone <laughs> yeah. Like uh, uh, you actually like what happens? Do you you have there's actually there's, like... there's a there's a there's a, a much simpler way to attack someone than going on YouTube and spending countless hours learning how to hack. You can just buy it as a service. I mean, we had uh, there was this case just recently. I don't know if you heard about it, where uh, I think it was. Uh, one of the municipalities, uh, perhaps uh, Örebro or something, where a teenager, I think it was maybe not even a teenager, like a 12-year-old, he was, uh, I don't know if he, he was pissed off with them or for some reason he wanted to bring the municipality down. And so he found a page, I guess on the on the dark web or somewhere, where... Uh, cybercrime group were selling denial of service attacks as a service and the denial of service attack is an attack that renders whatever you're attacking uh, useless or unresponsive you can't use it that's why it's called a denial of service attack Uh, so he tricked his father that he needed to buy something in a game was it minecraft or something like that uh, so he tricked his father that he needed to buy some inventory in some game and the father didn't look too carefully, I guess, and gave uh, or entered his credit card information so that the boy could pay these attackers. And then the attackers um, performed an attack, a denial of service attack against this uh, municipality, which rendered their systems unresponsive for quite some time. Uh, so that's how low the threshold is in performing a uh, a kind of a hacker attack. In this case, a, a denial of service attack, which isn't considered very sophisticated, but nonetheless can have very serious effects. Yeah, that's crazy, and uh, like it feels so easy. And I suppose it's the same thing with net hating, for example. Yeah. That it's like it's almost too easy to do something that you would never go up to someone and like 
punch them in the face. But uh, when it's over the web, you have access to do like crazy things. So, yeah, how, how do we solve that? I think people need to realize that, uh, sure, if they're not behaving extremely bad or criminally, maybe you can create a fake account on social media and say some stupid things that you don't dare to say. But, I mean, if you start doing serious things or behaving in, in a criminal way and conducting crimes online, you really have to be quite knowledgeable to cover your tracks. It's not just a simple matter of, you know, oh, I managed to create an account with a different name. That will not stop the authorities or or skilled uh, parties to to track you down and find who you really are. So, yes, on, on, on the one side, people are behaving uh, irresponsibly or... Uh, with very bad manners that they wouldn't uh, face to face, but on the other side, you know, it's not so. It's not as easy to go undetected if you're crossing into criminal behavior. Uh, I mean, the the uh, the authorities uh, have also matured when it comes to uh, their uh, cyber security and, I guess, you could say, cyber policing. Uh, I think that that the problem with net hate, etc., is perhaps um, not a cybersecurity uh, problem per se. Although the development of secure identities and the development of uh, authentication and and provenance, etc., uh, could could play a part in that. But it's more about the policies. I think of. Of companies and our cultural norms as a society. I, get, I think it's more at that level that uh, we need to see some positive change around those problems. Right. So you can say that it's easy to get access, but you it's not easy to uh, sneak away, so to speak. Yeah, I would say my, my, my recommendation again, if you want to do uh, something criminal. Um, which, uh, <laughs> My recommendation. Don't, don't, don't recommend. <laughs> uh, it's just much easier to try to buy that as a service. I mean, and you can buy ransomware as a service. You can buy, uh, like we talked about, denial of service attacks as a service. You can even buy disinformation as a service. So you have um, groups who are offering to spread disinformation on selected channels and according to a, a message of your choosing. And you pay for this. Uh, it's just so much easier than trying to become the hacker yourself, I guess. Uh, All right, thank you for the advice. I am taking <laughs> notes here. I can imagine. <laughs> I'm gonna start uh, We Attack. It's gonna be right. my next right. project. Yeah, don't, don't do that. No, do just anything. kidding. Course, I'm kidding everyone that is listening. Um, but okay, cool. Um, right, so we covered a lot, and uh, then I thought that maybe do you want to share like what is like the worst uh, hack attack that you have seen? Hmm. Good question. I guess it's uh, it's hard to pick, but we we've seen so many different uh, types of attacks. One 
particularly worrying area is when you have uh, cyber physical systems interconnected. Um, and uh, there has been some discussion in media about this recently as well. But, but when you have uh, a situation where your uh, critical infrastructure may be exposed to uh, cyber attacks, uh, then you start uh, risking effects on human lives. We don't have to go very long without uh, power, electrical power, for instance, especially this time of year, for the effects to be uh, materializing as, as loss of life, for instance. So those are the really... Um, really some of the most serious uh, scenarios. Um, there uh, may or may not have been attacks with those kinds of effects, but there have definitely been attacks that have demonstrated that those uh, effects um, or those types of attacks are, are possible. Um, so that's also part of uh, you know, the, our responsibility as a society to, to uh, do what we can to increase the, the lowest level of security in, in uh, relation to our most important societal functions. Right. So that, uh, yeah, that is very serious and not fun at all. I was, my next question is, was going to be, have you ever seen a hack that has like impressed you? Uh, maybe something more light. Light-hearted. <laughs> light yeah. <laughs> uh, I, th I think, I mean, anytime someone uses an innovative uh, technique or finds a new vulnerability, um, that's um, that's impressive of itself. I mean, that demands an act of uh, creativity and problem problem solving and innovation. Um, I can't come up with a specific case uh, from the top of my head, but um, I, I think that's part of the intrigue also of, of hacking. I mean, most hackers that I know, they like to describe themselves as, as people who like to break things. And they like to break things in order to understand how they work. And when they understand how they work, they also understand what inherent vulnerabilities are part of that system. And then they can exploit it. Um, and, uh, and that always requires you know, creativity and, and innovation. I can recommend this uh, series on SVT for, for Swedish hackers uh, with a few uh, white hat hackers att attacking different targets. There you really get to learn more about how it's uh, done and how easy and sometimes difficult it, it can be to hack a specific target. Um, and it would really be entertaining and also raise your security awareness. So if you haven't seen that, I would uh, recommend it. Right. Cool. Thank you so much for this talk. It was super interesting. And uh, like final advice, when do you think it's time for uh, Wittad as a company, for example, to take in a full-time uh, security specialist? Uh, yeah, good question. You actually touched on a very important topic. Uh, this is called you know, information security economics, and it's it's a research area of uh, of its own, and it has to do with you know how do you build the incentives to ensure that people create secure systems from the beginning, uh, because just what you're talking about here is the reason partly why we have this security gap. 
when uh, um, our security is not not up to the standard that it would need to be. And the reason is that nobody really wants to pay for security up front. Uh, and the user doesn't want to pay for it because they can't really validate if you put more money into security than some other app trying to imitate you guys, right? So that's why people postpone their investments in security until it's actually a bit too late. And and how to solve this is within the domain of, you know, uh, this area called information or cybersecurity economics. And uh, the real question is, you know, how should we um, make uh, laws and regulations to put the responsibilities in the right place and ensure that there is the incentive to build secure systems from the beginning. So one thing I would do from your perspective today is try to ensure that your developers either get some training in secure uh, development, uh, such as the, the, the course we, we produced at RISE, for instance, that would be a great f first step. And also using and finding developers who have some experience from sec DevOps or DevSecOps, uh, so secure development operations, and know the basics of that. Um, I think that, that that's the best advice I could uh, I could give you today. All right. Thank you so much for your advice and for this talk. I yeah, I learned a lot. It was fun. Great. Thanks a lot. <laughs> Thanks for your time, and uh, maybe we'll do it again sometime. Yes. Okay. Good luck in the future. Bye bye. Thank you. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. WeTal Talks is created by WeTal, a coding community with thousands of developers. In our app, you can find your next career opportunity or join tech conversations. See you next time. <laughs>